Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Living with XXY podcast series. I'm Ryan Briganti, your host. This podcast series is brought to you by our nonprofit organization called Living with XXY. This uh, podcast series is also all about people living with Klinefelter syndrome, their experiences, their real life, um, just sharing everything all about them, people that are affected, parents, families, teachers, schools, doctors, all the amazing information that we can offer you. So today's episode is I have my really good friend, Kelsey, who's also an amazing board member on the other line. And this is going to be all about what it was like for him to get diagnosed with Klinefelter syndrome and go through the challenges of infertility, what it was like for him to go the donor sperm route. And ultimately, after being told he can't have a family, he has two amazing, beautiful kids. So what's going on, Kelsey? How are you today? Doing well, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to uh, sharing more of my story for the benefit of other people's so they can see that they're not alone in their own journeys. So a little bit about Kelsey and I. Kelsey and I go back to around 2017. I was traveling in Oregon to meet up with a fellow Kleinfelter XXY guy that I met um, through a conference to hang out with him and I posted that I was in Oregon and Kelsey popped up on a Facebook group and we met in person and we've been friends ever since. And it's been some, a pretty incredible wild ride. So Kelsey, um, a lot of us have anxiety when it comes to like having Kleinfelder syndrome and kind of having to figure out what anxiety means to us and how to learn from those experiences. And with you being diagnosed at 27 learning that you had Klinefelter syndrome, how have you helped like maintain and manage your anxieties from that point on? Uh, in different ways, uh, I manage my, my anxiety. Um, I was having a conversation with my wife the other day about how, cause I know you and I both have anxiety of our own. And I uh, was talking to my wife about how, um anxiety for different people manifests manifests itself in different ways and so the way that i deal with my anxiety may be different to, than the way that you deal with your anxiety but also the way that you experience your anxiety may be different than the way i experience mine so um what works for me might not work for other people but uh, you know I found that the best way that I can really work through what I'm feeling is by getting it out of my head, whether that's in written form or whether that that's verbally. And oftentimes um, verbally is a challenge. It's a challenge sometimes just to speak the words about how I'm feeling. And so um, it's really important that when I take the opportunity to then share that with somebody and, and be in that kind of vulnerable space of, you know, sharing how I'm, how I'm feeling, it's really important that I'm able to get through those words and, and share the, all, you know, all of those feelings with that person and be able to get to the end of it. Um, the reason I bring this up is because um, in high school, I believe it was high school about age 16 or so, um, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 27. So, I was having these different um, emotional kind of uh, feelings and stuff like that going through what I thought was puberty at the time. 
um, which, you know, I later found out um, getting on testosterone replacement therapy that puberty is a whole different thing. But um, at the time, basically going through the kind of those typical teenage years, um, I used to do a lot of writing. And for me, writing uh, poetry mainly uh, gave me the ability to write down those feelings that I had put them down on paper and give them a space to be outside of my head so that I could then move forward onto other things. Um, so anxiety for me kind of works like that, where as long as I can kind of verbalize or write it down and get out of my head, then I can get to a, a, a place where I can move forward. So, um, so I, I, I did. Yeah, go ahead. So with, with the anxiety that you're talking about, you know, I, I know that, I've, I've talked to countless parents and guys, um, that have been through life with anxieties. And, and when you have a thought or when you have something that you have to say, it's almost like if you don't say it within that second, you usually forget it, but then it bothers you throughout the rest of the day that you had something that you were, you were going to say it, but then you couldn't say it. And so just the sharing that anxiety is, is very mutual. Yeah. And it, it's, especially important to be able to finish that thought because otherwise, like I said, sometimes, you know, it's hard to put that into words and actually speak the words. Um, so, um, you know, being able to finish that thought process and share that thoroughly and get that out. Um, and I acknowledge, you know, I was talking to my wife the other day, like I said, um, oftentimes the anxiety produces, you know, thoughts of, you just really irrational things like things, you know, like fearful things or just irrational, illogical thoughts that I know that they sound ridiculous when I'm saying them, but I have to say them to get them out of my head so that I can get to that point to move on. So I think that's the hardest part for my wife to just be able to, um, you know, be supportive in that moment and listen to that because it does sound ridiculous. But at the same time, if I can finish those thoughts and move forward, then that's ultimately what, what's going to help alleviate that anxiety. Um, that's, that, that's one of the ways that I use to mitigate the anxiety. Another big one for me is running and I try to run at least three days a week and challenge myself with goals for half marathons and other different things to just really get that physical activity to get the anxiety out too but writing really has kind of been the the saving grace until I learned that you know running and what that did for me that way so with this writing right so you say you've written poems what what how does the writing and and after you figured out the anxiety how does that intertwine with understanding at 27 that you were infertile and that you were trying for a family so let me share a poem that I wrote. Um, it's called The Path of Optimism. Uh, I wrote it back in April 2008. And so I was diagnosed March of 2007. And my first child, my son Jaden, was born in April of 2009. So at this, at this point in time that I wrote this, I was really just kind of struggling with what does that structure of our life look like? How are we going to get to the point where we can have kids and go through those, like you said, those decisions of choosing donor sperm and choosing the appropriate route for us, you know, because the, you know, the route that I chose um, was dependent on certain factors based on, you know, how much 
how much does adoption cost? How much does IVF cost? How much does um, donor sperm um, cost? And, and what does that look like for, you know, my wife and I to be able to meet that goal of having uh, children? So uh, this poem, Path of Optimism, kind of uh, goes through uh, what that felt like at that time. So to kind of set this story up is uh, at the time we lived on uh, 20 acres in the Redwood Forest in Northern California um, on a guest house um, on our in-laws property. Um, I was taking a walk with the dogs on the many trails throughout that, that forest land. And um, so this is what I was thinking. As a new day dawns, fresh air abounds. Taking a deep, deep breath, I stroll the grounds. With no one around, I relish the tranquility of the freedom, the silence, and the security. My buddies join me to keep me company as I contemplate the future of our family. Not a traditional composition to be, rather a mixture of hope and complexity, such is life as I have only to accept, knowing that I'm given the strength to adapt and handle all that comes my way at one time. Wow, that was incredible. So that, you know, that basically just, like I was saying about the anxiety, if I can get those feelings out of my head and end up on a, a good place where I know I can move forward, that's kind of how my, my, my mind works in that regard. So I, I knew that the path for us to move forward to have a family was not going to be simple. You know, it was going to be complex and it was going to be something that I, I needed to remain hopeful in and be able to see that bigger picture and that, that bigger goal of where we wanted to get to. So, um, you know, it was basically a year later that, that Jaden was born and we got to see kind of the fruits of that, you know, really kind of stressful experience of, of going through that process. So it, it's definitely worth it in the end. Now Jaden turned 11 this, uh, this month actually. And, you know, there, there was a point in time when I wasn't really ever sure that we were going to be able to have kids, especially after the doctor saying, there's no way you're going to have a family. So to be able to have that um, miracle and that, that gift for, for us was pretty important. So let's, let's take it back a little bit. So you talk about the doctor telling you that you're never going to be able to have a family. And that's, that's obviously when you learned about having Kleinfelder syndrome. So once you guys went through the anxiety and the pro and the, you know, the process and the acceptance of having Kleinfelder syndrome, where did you go from there? Like, how did you go about understanding, you know, we're going to use donor sperm over adoption. I know that you said cost was a big thing, but what was that process like of actually going through, you know, the donor sperm? I, I, I don't I've never been to a sperm bank other than to see um, if I can have kids or not at the NIH. Yeah. Um, so it didn't actually involve visiting a sperm bank. Um, at the time in 2007, I didn't really feel like there was, a lot of uh, resources readily available to be able to answer many questions, really. Um, and most of the stuff that I could find online was not real favorable. And um, I didn't want anybody to know I had this diagnosis. So for me, um, you know, I have to credit my wife for really just kind of pushing me and challenging me to move forward with this, this shared goal of having a family because ultimately, that was a big priority for me still. 
Um, I was grieving the loss of that sense of self almost of, you know, I, I thought I was one way uh, prior to diagnosis. And then after diagnosis, I couldn't even look myself in the mirror for six, eight weeks. Like I just thought I was something different, someone different somehow. Um, and, and the hairs on my arms are standing up just talking about it. It's still that powerful after 13 years, but um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, that's, that, 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 that's a tough thing to remember, but um, really just the, the grace of my wife and um, her resolve to help me through that in a way that we could attain that ultimate goal of having a family was, was really key. Um, Cause I shut down uh, after being diagnosed and, you know, prior to getting to the point where, where I was in the headspace where I wrote that poem I shared um, was, was pretty challenging. But um, so I think it was, I want to say it was three or four months or something after diagnosis um, that we did our first round of donor sperm and um, intrauterine insemination or IUI, they call it. Um, so that process of choosing, in my mind at the time, I saw it as choosing my replacement because I could not contribute personally in providing sperm to that equation to have, have a child. That's how I viewed it in my head um, because I was not accepting of really who I was or any of that. But I, I don't see it that way now. I really see it as kind of a godsend uh, to be able to have that opportunity to have a family. And, um, you know, we can talk a, a different time about what that was like when the kids were born and, and, and all of those kind of feelings that revolved around that. But as far as the the donor sperm and, and selecting that, we didn't, like I said, we didn't go to a sperm bank. Basically, we just contacted a, a sperm bank in um, California, I believe, that had um, uh, an online, or I don't remember if it was online, because online at the time in 2007 wasn't really robust like it is now, but um, <laughs> they, <laughs> I, they, they had a brochure that they sent, basically, that, that, that listed out like, um, every every aspect of a person so it, it had height weight eye color hair color um occupation their ethnicity occupation all that stuff um and to the point where um i don't remember if it was after you had selected somebody that you wanted to look at or if it was um in addition to that brochure but they also had so like I, I selected um, somebody that was as closely resembled to me as I could find because I didn't want there to be any reason for somebody to suspect that this child was not mine, right? So that's how, that's where I was at, where I was feeling at the time. Um, now that doesn't really matter, but um, at the time I, I remember that the, the, the first donor that we selected um, for Jaden was um had a degree in psychology uh, his favorite animal was a dog like all the same things that matched me and and with that um that bio for that person they had hand filled out like 
some questions about themselves so you can see their handwriting. Like it was pretty detailed, the, the, the level of information that you got about the person short of their name and where they lived and who they really were. But you kind of got the essence of what you would be getting with, with that donor sperm. So we selected from there. And then um, I want to say that the donor sperm was, I don't remember the cost because it was so long ago and I'm not really sure if that's relevant now, but it's, it was like $400 or something like that for one sample. And then in addition to whatever the cost was at the doctor for each visit to do the IUI procedure. So um, we, we tried several times in Kansas. We lived in Kansas at the time for a short period. Um, and we tried three or four, maybe five times and then nothing was working. And so we ultimately moved back to California um, where I grew up and uh, found another doctor and continued the process. And I, I want to say it was on the first try with the new doctor in California that um, we were successful in, in conceiving Jaden. So that, that whole process was challenging on many levels, really just to kind of accept the fact that we had, I had to go that route in order to get where I wanted to. Um, you know, we also looked at like foster to adopt options where you would uh, foster a child in the, the local community and the, with the potential to adopt or straight out adoption. Um, but there were, you know, we, we were, it was really important to us to have a baby because um, that's what we'd been trying for for a couple of years. And the the foster to adopt wasn't always guaranteed that you were going to have a, a baby in that scenario. And adoption itself was, um, along with IVF, um, with donor sperm was somewhat cost prohibitive for us at the time. So that was a lot of the reason that we chose donor sperm and IUI. Um, yeah, I think that kind of sums up what that experience looked like. I mean, that's it. I can just tell by hearing you talk about that experience that it was really raw and definitely, you know, not thinking that you're not thinking that you're like a, a human, right? Like you find out about your diagnosis and you're instantly like, I can't be a provider to provide a family. And you go into this like deep, dark hole. I can, I can definitely sense that, um, yeah where you were, but where you are now is, is absolutely on a incredible different level. And then yeah. I know that you have two kids. So after Jaden, what kind of, did you go back to do some writing and figure it out that you guys wanted to have another, or how did that process work? Um, I'm not sure how that was determined. I, I, I think we were, I was comfortable having two kids and I think um, my wife would, would have gladly had six or eight kids. Um, but for me, I think I was comfortable with two and, and what we could afford at the time was, was about two. Um, like I was telling you earlier, just um, so my, my daughter was born in 2012 and um we we had gone through after Jaden was born and and um, I don't know maybe he was two or so. No, he was he was almost three when Maddie was born. So I think it was probably about a year or so after Jaden was born that we decided we would start trying for another um, another baby because 
you know, with, with donor sperm and the IUI process, there's no guarantee that you're going to uh, conceive on any attempt to, um, to do that process. Um, so it's really just about timing the, the cycle with the woman and um, timing that procedure um, within that optimal window to be able to conceive. And so we, we went through some different stuff with our doctor who was responsible for Jaden's conception. And it got to the point where after multiple rounds of, of um, IUI with, you know, the cost of donor sperm and the cost of each procedure, you know, things weren't working. And ultimately that doctor basically told my wife that she was not going to be able to have more kids. And so, um, you know, at this point we had kind of exhausted our, um, savings really trying to make that second child for us a reality. And we decided to do a last ditch kind of, um, second opinion with, um, a doctor that we found online who ironically lived in Oregon because we were living in California at the time, but she was nationally known, um, in Oregon and Medford. Her name was Dr. King. And she was nationally known for fertility, her fertility clinic and the, the success that she had had, um, you know, helping people have a family. So we, uh, decided to basically just go up to Oregon and pay out of pocket to try one last time to, um, conceive and have, have a child. And, um, you know, my daughter is named after my mom essentially has part of her name and her name. And, um, because my mom basically helped pay for that one last ditch effort to try to have another baby, um, because we had exhausted, you know, our own funds. So it was, it was really pretty emotional time to be able to get to that point and, um, to be able to have it successful on the first try with that doctor was just overwhelming and amazing and um you know really helped us kind of round out our family um as we saw it um it's pretty it's pretty just pretty incredible that you you know you've spent your entire savings on trying to build this family um and being told after going through everything that you went through with infertility within yourself you have a doctor that's telling you that your wife is unable to have kids i know that that's a really harsh reality, but coming back, you know, moving to Oregon and then going with this doctor and getting, you know, pregnant on the first try, that's definitely a miracle right there, bud. Yeah, definitely was. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And so now you have two absolutely amazing kids that I've met and they're so energetic and they're so awesome and they have completely different personalities, which is so cool. So how, how old are your kids now? So, um, my daughter is eight and my son is 11. So, and earlier you mentioned that we can talk about this in a different podcast, but I think going with the, just the topic that we're on, what was it like when Jaden was born? Um, I had a lot of fears and anxiety about 
whether he would look like me or um because I was still in the mindset I didn't want people to know I had Kleinfelter syndrome I just I wasn't open about it to anyone beyond you know my immediate family my mom and dad and brother and um some just really close friends but the majority of people in my life had no idea and so I, I wanted to keep it that way you know I um just had a lot of irrational kind of fears about you know would I have a connection with him or you know would I be able to love him as if he was my own child and um just all of these things that I think are really common with a lot of people in our situation that have to go through a different means to to have a family um and so the day that he was born it, it was almost immediate as soon as he as soon as he joined us was like, he's my son and nobody is ever going to take that away from me. There's no, no challenge that's ever going to change that. He's mine. And that's it. Like you could fight me for it at the point, but not going to do you any good. Cause I'm not going to lose this, you know? So you like went, it was, so you went from basically being like questioning everything and kind of giving yourself all these crazy doubts and, and, obviously at that time you hadn't accepted that you had Kleinfelter syndrome and you didn't want anybody to know about it. And then as soon as he was born, you were like a completely different person as far as just having your son there, your son was your son and it didn't matter where he came from or how he came into this world, but that he was yours. Yeah. And was it this, did you, once Jaden was born, did you have the same kind of thought process and feelings with Maddie or did that kind of, it just completely expel that whole process. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of those same concerns um, with Maddie because, you know, we'd gone through it and I knew that there, you know, there was going to be my child regardless of what anybody said. So, so, and now, um, so now that your kids are what, 11, 10. Yeah. Eight and 11, eight and 11. Did you, what was it, you know, did you guys let them know that they came from donor sperm or what was that process like? Yeah. Um, we both agreed, my wife and I, that it was going to be really important. And I'll admit, I, I struggled with this at first because we, I, I still wasn't open with a lot of people. Um, now that I am open the last well, since meeting you, <laughs> but now that, now that I am open, um, with who I am and, and, uh, you know, that I have Kleinfelter syndrome, um, you know, that the conversation's less, um, emotional for me, but at the time, you know, I, I agreed with my wife that the kids needed to know about where they came from and, um, you know, what our family composition was and why and all that stuff. And, and I kind of grew into that over time. So, um, but the, the, but the reason for letting them know that they come from donor sperm and that I have Kleinfelter syndrome and didn't, you know, contribute to that equation is that the more that we can normalize that conversation in our household, then, as they go, get older, the less that they will see that as something that they need to hide or that they need to 
um, think differently about. It'll just be the norm for them. So um, it was really important for us to start when they were young. Um, I don't remember the author's name, but there's a book called uh, The P That Was Me. And it's written by a child psychologist. Uh, we could probably tag her name at the bottom of the podcast, but it's written by a child psychologist. And it basically just goes through um, and explains from the perspective of uh, using donor sperm that um, families are made made up in different ways. And it doesn't make them any different. It just means that they come from a different, you know, situation and that um, they're all still a family and it basically just kind of lays it out from a child's perspective and goes through in pictures um, uh, to show them that. So uh, the cool thing about that book series is that uh, there's different different ways in which it's written. So there's one for adoption. I believe there's one for IVF. There's one for donor sperm. There's There's different ones that you can use for your particular situation to really and we we did you know you know when the kids were young we read to them every night uh, read a book or two to them every night and that was just kind of in the normal rotation of books that we read and we just put that in there so that it was a conversation that we were opening up at the time when they were like two and three years old like it was just something that we started really young with them and as time grew on you know we've had conversations with them in the last couple of years especially with starting the nonprofit and doing the outreach with the FDA and traveling to DC and doing the study at NIH in was that 28, 2019? Um, 20, you know, 2018, I think we did August 2018. Yeah so, yeah. so throughout those um, opportunities that you and I participated in, um, it was yet another conversation that was opened up with the kids where they could ask whatever question they want. And I'm going to tell them what the answer is because I don't want them to be, you know, afraid of it. I don't want them to think that there's something bad about it. And, you know, what are the odds that, you know, one of the kids is going to grow up with something that they land in the same situation we're at and have to go through that. So why not be prepared and be able to have those conversations now and understand that, you know, we're still a family and, and just because we come from a, a different process doesn't mean that that's going to change anything. So, you know, they still they, my daughter told me the other day that I'm the best daddy in the world. And so they definitely see me as their dad and, you know, nothing's going to change that. So that's pretty cool. There has definitely been some incredible moments that I've shared with you um, that you've experienced since we spoke at the FDA. So a little backstory for all of you. Um, we were offered to just go to the FDA to talk about um, a new potential testosterone drug. It wasn't, we weren't, um, what's that word, Kelsey? We weren't endorsed by it, but so yeah. at the end of our speaking, uh, we've never been to DC. We took the train down to DC and we're walking around, you know, it's cold in August, which was pretty incredible. It was really weird. No, that was in January. Oh yeah. It was in January. I Oh yeah. There we go. Yeah. That was really um, cold. I had to borrow your jacket because I didn't come prepared. <laughs> <laughs> so we're walking around down like DC downtown, like where the White House is and all the monuments and stuff. And I start filming a video um, with this other guy, Jason, and we just start talking about how the experience was. And Kelsey just goes like, 
what did you, I can't remember what you said, but you just opened, oh, you opened up and you were like, yeah, I have Kleinfelder syndrome and I don't know why I've hit it for the last 10 years. And yeah. hearing you say like, I have this, but I don't even know why I've been hiding it. And from that moment, just watching your transformation as a friend, board member, like, you know, you're like family, you're like a brother now, um, watching your transformation through acceptance has just been absolutely incredible. And going back to your kids being so proud of you, um, Jaden, uh, like before COVID happened, Jaden was working on this project and they could have ch anybody in their, his class, you know, he could have chosen famous sports stars, um, famous people to be the cover of this like mock time magazine post. And instead of picking any of his favorite sports stars, he picked his dad, he picked Kelsey. And in this post, you know, there's Kelsey, um, is in like, is on the time magazine, you know, they Photoshopped him in and then his son has this, uh, message about him that you guys can actually find on our Instagram. Um, there's a post of Kelsey. If you look back a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, you can read it. And he talks about how his, he's so proud of his dad for spreading awareness about Kleinfelter syndrome. And that's just the most incredible story that you went from being diagnosed, never wanting anybody to know had kids didn't want people. Do you think that one of the reasons why you didn't want, like why you were thinking about not telling your kids that they were through donor sperm is because you hadn't accepted Kleinfelter syndrome at that point. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, it's just, it's incredible to see, like it's, you've educated your kids about them being through donor sperm and now they're telling their class about their amazing dad. So incredible, yeah. Kelsey. And you, and one of the, one of the things you just touched on there was, was about acceptance and um, I have another poem for that, but it's, you know, acceptance is not something that comes easy and that's on that journey. You know, like, it, like you said, when we we're walking through DC there and I made the comment, like, I've been hiding this for 10 years and for what reason, I don't know. Um, but it's really, you know, cathartic to be able to shed that weight of having to hide behind something that um, ultimately just kind of holds you back when in, in reality, if you, you're just okay with who you are, then you can kind of move forward and focus on other things. So what? I can share that poem if you want. Absolutely. And it's incredible that you taught your kids that exact same thing before you even accepted your own diagnosis. You taught your kids yeah. that it's totally okay that you guys came from donor sperm and that it's you're you are who you are. And like they yeah. they accepted that at such a young age. You know, you you basically told them throughout their younger years that like this is where you came from and this is our family and this is just who we are and, and this is incredible. Yeah. I think that was really integral and in me being able to get to that place where I could accept it was just seeing that, you know, their reaction to this, you know, cause oftentimes the reactions of the people closest to you is going to be somewhat indicative of what the larger, you know, population of the world is, is going to respond to. And if the kids are just like, yeah, you're still our dad, like that doesn't change anything. Then 
you know, my experience, my experience later in sharing this with other people has been the same. And so I, I think it was all really just kind of, that was a process I needed to go through in order to get to the other side of it and see that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm still, still who I am and I can still do things that the general population can do. I just have a diagnosis, but it is what it is, you know? So what's um, this, uh, let me, what's this poem? So let me share this poem because, um, so this was written, uh, what, three years after diagnosis in June of 2010. And I was very much at that time stuck in the mindset of if I could just, so it's called accepted. And I was very much in the mindset of if I could just accept that I'm going to have to live this dual life of knowing about who I am for myself, but not sharing that with anybody. If I can just accept the illusion of that and move forward, then I'm going to be okay. Um, so let me read this and then we can talk a little bit more about why this is so important for me. So here it is. It's called Accepted, written June of 2010. No one could truly, no one could ever truly understand. Woe is me. Why is my own plight more dire than that of thee? The skeletons hiding in the closet aspire to break out, leaping at the chance to freely scream and shout. Instead, a mask to the outside world is my self-preservation, a shield to hide the feelings of shock, anger, and rejection. My one and only hope for the future is to learn acceptance, to be happy and satisfied with a life where illusion is existence. Wow. You can write, man. So, I didn't even know you could write, but you you have some insanely amazing power with words. I think a lot. And oftentimes, like I said, if I can write stuff down and get out of my head, I can move forward and know that I'll be okay. So that last line for me really kind of strikes a chord that I, I don't think I intended at the time when I wrote it because it, it means a lot different to me now. But so the last line is to be happy and satisfied with a life where illusion is existence. Because at the time I was happy with, you know, if I could just accept that, accept the illusion that I need to hide behind this mask and just move forward with daily life, then I would be okay. Um, you know, that, that mask for me was, you know, every conversation, you know, people, because at that time, Jaden was born and, and people would make the comments of, oh, he looks like you. And internally, I'm thinking there's no possible way that that could happen, but I'm not going to tell you why. So I was dealing with that internal chatter, if you will, in my head of all these added things that came with, you know, totally benign comments from other people. And so I, I read that now, 10 years later, and it's like, I'm almost shocked, really, that that was where I would have been comfortable living, you know, because I see it now. And I'm like, you know, it's, I, I'm not I'm not hiding behind that mask anymore and life is so much different and I've accepted for the most part you know who I am and where I'm at I've still got work to do and I think you know if if we all kind of use the the mindset of continuous improvement over time and just work on ourselves and work on 
our representation of, of how we fit in the world and just continually improve, then I think that's a, a good way to live life. But it's interesting to go back and read that stuff and really see how I was feeling because it's like it opens that emotion back up. It's, it's crazy. It's definitely hard for probably a lot of people to get to that, even that point of what is acceptance? Like, where do I even, where do I even start with acceptance? A little, a yeah. little, so a little differently between Kelsey and I, I was diagnosed in utero. Um, I was told at the age of nine. And when it came to fertility with my family, my dad would always tell me around, I don't know, 11, 12, 13, 14. And then throughout high school, they would always constantly tell me when anything with family came up or kids, they would just constantly go, you can always adopt. You can always adopt. I just remember my dad always saying, you can always adopt. Like with every possible situation, they always just gave me a, a, an, an alternative. And yeah. that's how I, you know, I learned at a young age that I couldn't have kids, but at 13, I mean, honestly, what 13 year old is like thinking about kids, like that's when girls start to come in. Um, at least in my life, that's when that, that stuff started to happen. And I wasn't thinking about family at that point in my life. Um, and throughout my life, just knowing that I can't have kids there, I mean, I still can have a family, um, just because you told you can't like you, like when you were told you can't, you were instantly like, Oh, well, you think that I can't challenge I'm... accepted. <laughs> Cause I know, I know that we've talked about that a lot about how you've been told that you can't. And then you were like, I'm going to accept this challenge because you can't tell me I can't do something. Yep. So, I mean, acceptance is one of those things. It's everybody has their own road that they have to go on, but what you just recommend, tell people to try, right? Cause look at, look where you're at now. Like, what two, two a little a little over three years later yeah about almost well two and a half years since we met but i think you know i started that process a long long before we met but just i you know, we were talking earlier i don't know that i would have ever really gotten there or gotten out of that comfort zone if um we hadn't met and i and and really, I think it's just a matter of knowing that I was not alone in that diagnosis, that there are other people in the world that are living that similar journey. And that, you know, once you realize that it's not an experience that you're suffering through, but it's an experience that other people have and that, you know, other other people are successful living with XXY. So why can't I be, you know? And so I, th I think meeting you was probably the catalyst to really help me see that I was capable of doing a lot more than I thought I could. And really just kind of have that person to bounce those ideas off all the time and encourage me and vice versa, encourage you to, you know, continually do more and, and do, you know, do things that you're not comfortable with, but with the idea that you can grow from that and that you could be better in the long run later. So I think, you know, acceptance is a, a tough one, but it's important to be able to get to that point so that you can move forward and, and live your life without having to worry so much about 
that, you know, hiding behind something in order to live. So, well, it's, it's hard, right? The, the double life, the, the double life is something that, you know, I, I lived at a certain point in my life. Um, I fully accepted Kleinfelder syndrome from a young age, but it was with just who I thought I should be versus who I was. And that's a little different than the, you know, accepting of having Kleinfelder syndrome, but it's just, I think that what you've done with your life, you've been able to come out of your shell, learn about yourself, be who, be ultimately who you are and stop living that double life. You're not concerned with talking about Kleinfelder syndrome or, you know, people ask, why do you need testosterone or why are you doing injections? You don't even have to hide that stuff. Um, I mean, there's videos of us doing that online together. (laughs) So it's some, so yeah, it's something that's just, you know, I think you speak from it so passionately and because you've lived it and you you're sharing your life now. And for all of those out there that are listening to this, that have Kleinfelder syndrome, you know, we're here. We're not alone. There's, thousands of us all over the world that have stories and experiences to share and we're here to help each other and that's why we're doing this podcast to share the experiences of others so others can relate to people because everybody has their unique individual story but you know what there's somebody else out there just like you that has the almost exact same story as you do and it's something that's so powerful when you can just share that wealth of information, it's definitely hard going back into the past and looking at those difficult moments and reliving those experiences of life, but they're changing other people's lives. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely worth, you know, sharing your voice, sharing your story and really just learning from the successes of other people and, and, you know, what got them to, the point they're at now and, you know, be open and honest and raw with what it was like and what you learned from it. And you never know what tidbit of information you can take from somebody else that you can help incorporate into your own life to be able to, you know, continuously improve over time, like I said. So, yeah, that's um, one powerful message, Kelsey. And I know you have so much more to share. So for all of our listeners out there, we're going to continue to record more episodes with Kelsey talking about things in his life, uh, just based off Kleinfelder syndrome. We're going to have more people on mothers and some guy, some younger guys coming up a couple guys in high school that are, are going to be recording with us in the future. Um, yeah. And, uh, so as we conclude this episode, Make sure you guys check out our website. It's been newly refreshed, newly kind of rebuilt. It's livingwithxxy.org. We also have Instagram. We have an amazing YouTube channel. Uh, We have Pinterest. We have Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. So we kind of have all the social media covered, and we try to post at least three times a week. We have a Facebook page that is Living With XXY. And uh, Kelsey and I helped start a facebook group that we're no longer a part of but there's some amazing resources out there on facebook um yeah what else kelsey anything else i think you pretty much caught it all it's just just a matter of um you know 
looking for those resources and being willing to connect and and um, be a part of the community and support of each other. So really just get out there and check out what's available. And we look forward to hearing from everybody else and seeing, you know, stories from everyone else. And if you guys would like to contact us personally, you can contact us at livingwithxxy at livingwithxxy.org. Um, give us your thoughts on this podcast and let us know if you want to be a part of it. So thanks so much for calling in today, Kelsey. I really appreciate you sharing your story and it's going to empower others to want to share theirs and grow this community, bring worldwide awareness for Kleinfelder syndrome and just make a bigger impact on the lives of other people. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good night. You too.